Good morning, good morning, Christ Church. Well, we are the last Sunday of 2023. Can you believe it? Where did this year go? Hey, I hope that you had an amazing Christmas. You have a good one? Yes? All right, that didn't sound great, but we'll take what we can get this morning. Uh, But I want to thank you for such an amazing Christmas Eve. Uh, For all who came, who invited people, it was unbelievable. Uh, We had over 700 people come to our Christmas Eve services here, which which was a a record for us. Also, if you just kind of think, it's very hard to get that many people through these doors in this parking lot. Um, And so, man, so thank you for that. Uh, We want to keep being able to invite the community. That's why we're working towards building a new facility. As you can see, it gets a little cramped in here. It was also a sauna session Christmas Eve, um, but, but it was such a great time uh, celebrating with you. And today, I want to I end this year uh, well, and that's what we've been talking about. But before we do, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for being with us today. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to finish this year in gratitude, in reflection, in connection to you. Help us to do that well. Father, I thank you for all the countless blessings that you brought into our life in 2023. Thank you for all the times that you met us in challenge and pain and confusion. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that that you loved us when we fell short, when we, uh, Lord, lost sight of you, lost sight of what matters. And today, Lord, help us just to to end well and to end in a, in a, a place of learning and a place of thanks and prepare us, Lord, for all you have for us in this coming year. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been talking about this idea of ending well, because endings matter. You know, we talk a lot about beginnings, we talk about middles, but, but you know, you watch a great movie, the movie may not be great, but if the ending's great, you're like, that was a really good movie, you know? The plane, again, might have some turbulence, but if you land and you're alive, it was a good flight. Um, endings, endings matter, and there is strength in endings. There, there's a way that, that God can bring grace to us when we end well in connecting to him. And uh, recently, I, was, I came across the research of a guy named Robert Emmons, and he is uh, one of the, the leading um, uh, studiers, what we're, researchers, that's what, that's what you know. I got three kids, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Leading scholars, thank you, uh, on gratitude. And, uh, and he, he said that if you keep a journal and you write five things that you're grateful for once a week, just once a week, and you do this for 10 weeks, it will increase your happiness by 25%. Is that unbelievable? Like, that's not that hard. Once a week. When I first heard that, I thought it was daily, which that would be a little bit more of a challenge, still very doable, but only once a week, once every seven days, you write five things for 10 weeks, and it will raise your happiness by 25%. He also found that uh, if the Browns go to the Super Bowl, it will raise it by 45%. Any Joe Flacco fans out there? Yeah, see, God does love Cleveland Church. Um, but anyway, we can't really control that one, <laughs> but we, we can control that. And, it, and I, was, I was thinking about that, 
um, it just reminded me how powerful gratitude is. And today, as we end this year, here's what my goal is. I want to reflect on the ways that God has helped us and met us this year. I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person that just moves forward through life and doesn't always stop and smell the roses. You know what I'm saying? That, That doesn't always stop and see the things that I should see, that I should be thanking God about, that I should be acknowledging and recognizing. Uh, and so today, I want to I wanna do that together. And I also want to say, God, help us to learn and to carry some important lessons that you have for us from this year into next. So that's what we're going to do today. And I want to look at uh, a man who was ending well, the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And, uh, and let me read these verses to you. Here's what he says. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to uh, Timothy, who has kind of been his protege. And most people believe that this is uh, the Apostle Paul's last letter that he wrote in the New Testament. He wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament, but this is the one that is probably the last one we get. And he's coming at the end of his life here. And he knows it's coming because he's in Roman imprisonment. There is a crazy emperor named Nero. If you read about this guy, he sort of went off the rails. And very soon after this letter was written, he would persecute and just sadistically kill many, countless numbers of Christians in the ancient world. So Paul saw the writing on the wall. You know, he's a prisoner under this guy. Things are heating up. It's not going well. And he, and he knows what's happening. So he's saying, Timothy, my ending is coming. I, I, I know it. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. And then he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So this is a really powerful passage because we're seeing a a little bit how Paul processes the ending of his life. And how he sees it. And what he thinks about it. And we see kind of what, what is important here. And the first thing that I find really interesting is the metaphor that he uses for his life. He says, I'm, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And in Paul's religion that he grew up in, in Judaism, there was a practice of different types of offerings. And one type of offering was a drink offering, where you just you know, pour it out on the altar and service to God. And Paul says, that's how I see my life. I am, I am a sacrifice. I'm a servant of God. My life is being poured out for his purposes, and we're getting to the last drop here, and it's almost empty. And I was thinking about how powerful the metaphor of that is. So this is how I see my life. And today I want to ask each of us, how do we think about our lives? Because I think we all can carry different metaphors for our life. Like, have you ever met someone 
who is the constant, you know, victim. They never do anything wrong, but everything wrong happens to them, right? Every boss is terrible, and they're the perfect employee. And you're like, okay, this is boss number 15 that's fired you. I think it might be a you problem. But in their mind, the metaphor for how they see their life is, no, it's everybody else, it's not me. And so that becomes a lens through which they understand the world. Or maybe, you know, we've said it at times or heard people, you know, just kind of, I'm just kind of drifting through life. Well, what does that metaphor mean? It means that I don't really have any plans. I don't have any ambitions. I'm just kind of seeing what happens. And I would say that's probably not the best metaphor to have, right? It, th- these metaphors are powerful. And here's what Paul's is. I am a drink offering. In other words, number one, my life is not my own. My life is meant to be in service to God. And, and the, the way that my life functions is that I pour it out. I, I give of myself to God and to his people. That is a powerful metaphor. Because here's what Paul is showing us. At the end of the day, here's what matters about our life. is not how much we get, but how much we pour out. How much of our life is in service to God and to others? I've done a ton of funerals, church. I've never got up there or seen family members get up and say, hey, let let me show you all the amazing stuff that this guy had. Let, Let me give you a slideshow of all their stuff. You know what everybody talks about is how they poured themselves out in love and service to others. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's what matters. And Paul says, my, that's how I understand my life. That the goal of my life is to empty it for the sake and for the purpose of Christ. And Paul says, that's what I've been doing. And as I was thinking about that, it reminded me that I believe that our church lives that out. And I was just reflecting on that verse, and I was reflecting on this year And I was thinking about all the people, like in our family ministry, that week after week, whether they want to pour their life out or not, the kids will pull it out of them. (laughs) And they they show up, and and they're serving Christ in amazing ways. Think about, man, all the, the guys that are out there freezing in the parking lot, trying to keep things safe and efficient here. And there's not a lot of glory in that, church. I just want you to know. But they're doing, they're pouring out their life to serve God and others. And I just want to say, church, I am so thankful for the spirit that you have in this place. I'm so thankful for all the men and women who consistently throughout this year had just poured out your life to serve Christ and to serve others. Thank you for that. Can we give them a round of applause? And Paul shows us, and Paul shows, he says, hey, that's the real meaning of life. The real blessing of 2024 will not be all the things that we take, but it will be the way that we we pour our life out for our family, for our friends, for our community, and ultimately for Christ. You with me on this, church? And Paul says, that's how I think about my life. And I wonder in your life today, what, what metaphor is driving your life? How do you understand it? And then Paul says this, and he says, you know what, when I think about my life, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. 
And I want you to just reflect for a minute today. In this year, 2023, I want you to think about all the fights that you had this year. Hopefully not literal fist fights. You know, you know what I'm saying here. But, but the challenges that you've had. The, the times where, man, you were, you were knocked down. You were facing hard and difficult times. I want, I want you to think about those for a moment. And then I want, to, want you to think about all the times that God fought the battle for you and you just showed up. I want you to just take a moment and, and reflect on all the times where, yeah, there, there was a big fight in front of you. And it was hard, it was scary, it was intimidating, it was maybe painful, but I want you to reflect for a moment on the times where, where now you look back and you realize, man, God showed up and he did the real work. God met you in that and he helped you. And you prayed about it and he was right there and, and he did what you could not do for yourself. Do you have any of those moments from 2023? Can you think of any of those moments? And can we just take, take a moment and can we just acknowledge uh, God's goodness to us in that? And can we just say thank you in our heart? God, thank you for fighting some of the battles. And there's probably a lot of unseen battles we didn't even know, fights we didn't even know were, that we were in, and, and God actually won them for us. And we didn't even see it. Paul says, I've, I've fought the good fight. Now, let me take a lesson from this. Here, here's what I find interesting about this. You know, a, a good fight doesn't mean you always win. You know that? It means that you show up with courage and tenacity. Some of the, the greatest boxing matches in history are these trilogies where it goes back and forth, and you can't even remember who won all the matches, but you just remember it was a good fight. You know what I'm saying? And don't you, you watch some sporting uh, you know, events, and you're just like, I just want to see a good game. What? <laughs> I ran. Uh, now, those, we do want victory on that. But, but you know what I'm saying, church? It's, it's about how you show up. It's about how you, you act in the moment. Is there courage? Is there tenacity? Are you leaving it all out there on the field? And Paul says, I fought the good fight. He said, I didn't win every fight. Sometimes Paul went to preach to, and they beat the living daylights out of him. He didn't win those fights. Sometimes he went to, there was a couple towns where he went to, and they stoned him, and they thought they killed him, and they left him for dead. And sure enough, the dude is harder to kill than they thought, and he woke back up and was like, all right, I guess, uh, I guess this place isn't really open, uh, so we'll, we'll move on. He didn't win every fight, but he showed up. He showed up with, with courage and tenacity. And in 2023, I bet you didn't win every fight. And I didn't win every fight. And in 2024, we're not going to win every fight. But here's what is actually most important. Will we show up with courage and tenacity? Will we give God the best of who we are? See, I think that's the lesson from that. The, the lesson is to, is to focus less on trying to always control the outcomes, but just asking myself every day, am I giving God the best that I have? Or, or am, I, am I showing up with a spirit that's not really engaging in what God has for me? You with me on this, church? Paul says, I've fought 
the good fight. See, in, in our culture, man, we love effortless victory, don't we? We just, we, man, and we want it easy. We want it convenient. We want it to happen now. And we're like, what is, what is up with this? I, this, this Amazon order is not coming today? It's coming tomorrow? I hate Jeff Bezos and Amazon. What? We, you know, we're, we're so attuned to that. And we love effortless victory. But here's, when I read the scripture, I think God loves grit. I think God loves the grind. I think God is, is looking to create us into people who can keep doing the right thing even when it's not easy. Who can keep showing up every day and loving our family and trying to honor him in our work and trying to grow in our faith and trying to, to honor him in this world. And even though there'll be many days where we get knocked down, we say, all right, I got knocked down, but I'm going to get back up and we're going to keep going because we're going to fight the good fight. And so as you go into this year, can we just ask God, God, help me to fall more in love with the grind than the outcome. If you fall in love with the grind, the outcomes will take care of themselves, right? If you, if you fall in love with the good fight, you're like, every day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the good fight. It, it's a struggle right now to pray, but I'm going to show up, I'm going to do it. It's a struggle to, to learn and grow in the scriptures. It's a struggle to love my spouse, but I'm going I'm to grit through it. If you fall in love with the grind, we can trust the outcome to God. Paul says, when I look back at my life, I have fought the good fight. The reward is the struggle sometimes. The reward is the, is the toil. And Paul says, I fought the good fight. Then he says this, I've finished the race. Now he goes to a running metaphor. I know everyone in this room loves running. No, there's a couple of you that are sadistic and you love it. But, but Paul says, I've, I've finished the race that God has for me. And can we just reflect on that for a moment? That this year, I want you to think about all those times where you were exhausted. I want you to think about those times where where you just, you didn't think you had any more gas in the tank. You didn't have any more strength to, in yourself to keep doing the right thing, the thing that you know you needed to do, and God gave you the strength to keep going. He gave you the endurance. Can you think about any moments like that this, last, this past year, where you just, man, maybe you just had these honest moments of prayer, you're like, Lord, I, I'm just done. I, I can't, I don't even know what to do right now. And you just, you just opened your heart to God. And then all of a sudden you realized that God was beginning to help you in ways you couldn't help yourself. And you could keep going. Maybe it was a baby step, but it was still a step forward. Maybe, maybe you, were, you were crawling, but you were still moving forward. And that's because God was giving you the strength that you needed. And can we just take a moment in our hearts and can we say, God, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for when I was in that season where 
I didn't know I was going to make it. I didn't know I was going to make it and still be a healthy soul on the other end. And, and now, Lord, I look back, and you gave me the strength that I needed. You gave me the endurance that I needed. You gave me the ability to, to keep moving forward in the race that I had. So we just thank God in our heart for that in a moment. If you've been there, if there's moments like that in this year, just whisper thanks in your heart to him. And now let's also take a, moment, a lesson from this. Endurance is not really a matter of the body. It's a matter of the mind. There was a, a British physiologist named Archibald Hill. And this is in the turn of the 20th century. And he was doing all this research on human physiology. And specifically, he wanted to know how long could human beings run? How fast could they run? And how long could they run? And he wanted to know, basically, our physical limits to that. And so that's what all his research was around. And he kind of created a calculation. He realized that, that basically it's about how much blood your heart can pump to your muscles. And so he figured out these calculations, you know, based on people's heart strength and blood flow and all this kind of thing. They should be able to run, you know, this far and this fast because he, he boiled it all down to physiology, to the heart, to blood, to muscles. But what he realized is that when he tried to apply those calculations to races and to all these kinds of things, they were absolutely useless. That even though he had the physiology completely figured out, he realized that the physiology actually didn't really matter. You know what mattered? The psychology. What was going on in their head. And some people, their bodies shouldn't have done what they were able to do. And then other people, their bodies should have done more, but their minds held them back. And he came to realize that endurance is far more about the mind than the body. It's about what's going on up here more than what's going on in here. And when I was thinking about that, it reminded me that when God invites us to walk with him, it always requires far more than you think you have. If you have followed Christ for some time, have you ever noticed he never calls you into something that's easy and comfortable and you're capable of at the moment? Anybody? He's, he's never like, you know, uh, I want you to go buy some donuts, you know? And then I want you to go home, and I want you to turn Netflix on, and I want you to get the recliner out and kick back, and I want you just to just down about six or eight of those. <laughs> yeah. Lord, I will follow you to the end. <laughs> no, it's, 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 always, uh, it's always tremendously more challenging than that, isn't it? It's, it's, always, it's always not about what is in your capabilities, but it's what is in the capabilities of Christ in you. It's not about your strength, but it's about his strength. In fact, the scriptures show again and again that actually when you experience weakness, which what is weakness? It's a limitation of you. He said, then, only then, you enter into God's strength. But that's a terribly uncomfortable place to be in life. 
and, and, and we don't like that. And so here, here's the lesson today. Here's what I, I want to ask you to think about, that when God calls you to enlarge your capacity, to run further or faster than you think you're capable of right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to default to trusting him. And I want you to default to just inviting him into your life in a deeper way. Maybe there's a circumstance today that is beyond your capacity. It's beyond what you have in you. And it's the perfect moment to trust his capacity and what he wants to do in the strength that he wants to bring. And then here's what I also want you to ask God to do. Ask God to break the quitter in you. They want to have a quitter in them. It's like that voice when, you know, you go to work out and it's like, no, nah, you walked up the stairs once today. You're good. Anybody got that voice? Or it's like, you know, you sit down to study and then you're like, oh, what was that new show on Netflix? I think I need to, you know, that's that quitter. Um, and anything where you're trying to actually do something that adds real value to your life, that quitter will show up, and he or she will start talking. And they're very persuasive to us. No one else would ever listen to them, but in our own mind, you're like, wow, you're making a lot of sense right now. Um, they're very persuasive. But you know what? It will always keep you from the race that God has for you if you listen to it. Because the path that God has for you requires higher level of endurance than we have right now. I heard a, a guy talking about family mottos, you know, making a family motto for your family, and I was really kind of moved by it. So this summer, I was talking with Allie, and we kind of made a family motto for, for our family, because I was like, you know, this is a cool idea. Like, it set the culture for, for your family. So, so we were thinking about, it. here's what we came up with. It's Beatlers don't break. Isn't that cool? I, I, like, I, I was happy about it. But, you know, it, and, and we kind of like mapped it out a little bit. Like we don't break in our love for each other. We don't break in our love for God. You know, we don't break when, you know, things get hard. Uh, and we kind of like, like mapped it all. But, but here's what the heart behind it was. Like if, if our daughters, if Emmy, Abby, and Teddy can grow up with that mentality, it will help them to be everything God wants them to be. Because the right path is never the easy one. The right path is never the convenient one. So if we can break our quitter and, and we can keep taking one step forward, no matter how small that they are, we will finish the race that God has for us. It's, it's not about our speed. It's just about our willingness to keep going. Paul says, I finished the race. And then he says, I've kept the faith. And as I was thinking about this, can we just celebrate one thing before we share a lesson on this? I want you to think about this year all the times where God kept you even though you didn't keep him. Do you have any of those times from 2023? I want you to think about all those times where the Lord was faithful to you, where the Lord was merciful to you, where the Lord was good to you, and, and maybe you had lost sight of him. And I just want you to acknowledge in your heart, and I want you to give him thanks 
for the fact that he didn't give up on you. Today, if you're questioning, if you're like, all right, spiritually, 2023 was a disaster. I'm pretty sure God wants nothing to do with me. Let me remind you, his faithfulness is not connected to your faithfulness. That's the good news of the gospel. His faithfulness is connected to his character. And he will never violate who he is. And he has chosen to love you and to help you. He will see it through to the end. Not because we deserve it, but because the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Forever. And can we just take a moment and can we just say, God, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you, Lord, that, man, the times when I've lost my way, the times where I've been a jerk, the times where I've been a terrible son or daughter to you, you still extended mercy, grace, and love to me. If you've had any of those moments this year, would you just give God thanks for a second? And Paul says, now let's talk about a lesson. Paul says, I've kept the faith. Now, if you read First and Second Timothy, you'll see that Paul kind of explains this concept a little bit more. And he talks about faith as a deposit, as something that we're entrusted with. And so he says that that deposit must be guarded. It must be protected. Now, I think this is kind of an interesting way of thinking about it. It's kind of like today, if someone just said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, put $10,000 into your bank account. Would that be okay? And you're like, uh, let me think about it. Yeah, of, of course it would be okay, you know? And then if I came up to you and I was like, hey, I want to make a run to Cabela's. Can I have your bank card? You'd be like, no, you're not touching that deposit. You, you, you would guard it. And what Paul says is that faith is of infinite value. And God has given us this deposit, but it needs, it needs guarded. It needs protected. And when I was thinking about that, I just, it came into my mind that in my faith journey, and I think in many others, there are some consistent ways our faith gets attacked. And here's what I put them at. These aren't the only ways, but these were ways that jumped out to me. Doubt, discouragement, and disappointment. I think these can be very consistent attacks to our faith. And we need ways to protect it from those. Doubt, discouragement, and disappointment. How do we deal with doubt? Well, I think two ways. Number one, we learn. Today, if you are exploring who God is, I know there's many people in our church that are like, I'm not sure what I believe, but, but I want to be here. I'm drawn to be here, and I'm trying to sort this all out, and there's there's a lot of doubt, there's a lot of questions that I have, then here, here's your first approach to dealing with that is, is you learn. You study. You ask people who you think maybe are a little further down the road than you. And, and you think about these things and you process these, these questions and these concerns. Then there, there's another type of doubt that's less intellectual and it's more kind of emotional. It's more about kind of the, the direction of our lives or, or what God has for us. And that kind of doubt, I believe you deal with it by nurturing your soul on the truth of Scripture. Let me give you an example of this. Sometimes in, in ministry, 
you know, you, you're, you, you doubt, you're like, all right, is, is God using me at all? Am I making a difference, you know? Some sermons, I'll be honest, some sermons, they, they don't seem to land that well every once in a while. You're supposed to be like, no, at this, you, you miss your moment, church. Um, you know, so you, you go home, you're like, man, did God even do that? And, and it, this, this unhealthy doubt begins to chip away at you. But, but here's how I've learned I need to deal with that in my life. There's certain scriptures that God speaks very powerfully to my soul. Like 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So for me, that's like, that's one of my main go-tos to protect my faith. That as this creeps in, I go to that, and, and there, yours might totally be different than that, but I'm telling you, there, there are resources in the scripture that you need to put into practice in your life that will help fight that. So that's doubt, a little bit about that. Let's talk about discouragement. I know no one ever gets discouraged here. But if you do, here's a couple ways to protect your faith in discouragement. So oftentimes, I think discouragement is a symptom of fatigue. It means you're probably tired and worn out. Now, here's kind of my two strategies, strategies for dealing with discouragement. Number one, I put a term limit on it. I'm like, okay, you can be discouraged till noon. I literally, and then I, and that's what I do. I moan, I lick my wounds, I say, oh, poor you. And then at 12.01, like, all right, you're not allowed to do that anymore. Uh, put a term limit on it. Just kind of say, all right, I'm, I'm going to acknowledge I'm in this weird, bad place, but I'm not going to let it go on for weeks or days. Let me give a term limit. And then here's the second big thing is refill. Refill your heart. You have to understand and figure out what refills your heart. But you pour in. Because oftentimes discouragement just means, man, you're running on E. And you need to refill. And we all have to find the ways that do it. You know, for me, it's like kind of reading really refills me. And honestly, going on a walk around the neighborhood, I can come back after 10 minutes like a new human being. It just, it's very simple. It's just kind of being alone with my thoughts and God for 10 or 15 minutes does wonders for me. But, but whatever it is, find your way to refill and refill, protect your faith. And then the last one, disappointment. What happens? See, our faith gets attacked when we're, man, maybe you're praying for something. And you want it so bad. And then it doesn't go the way you want. And you're disappointed. And so sometimes that road then leads us down, well, is God good? Is God real? Right? We go into all, the, all this, this place. Our faith needs protected in disappointment. How do we do that? Let me just give you a couple ideas. Number one, we choose to trust the wisdom of God on our life. How many times in your life have you prayed for something, God didn't answer, then you look back and you're like, God, thank you for not hearing that one. Thank you for saying no to that one. Anybody got some of those prayers? You're like, Lord, if you would have, but in the moment, you wanted it as much as you wanted that next breath of air. But God, in his wisdom, sees further, knows more, loves you more, and will always do what's right. 
And so in my moments of disappointment, I have to acknowledge, hey, that has happened a lot in my life. And maybe this is one of those moments. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above mine. I need to acknowledge that. And then I need to trust that. I need to trust that that the plan of God, it doesn't have to match up with my own mind for it to be good. If God's plan is only good, if it matches up with how I conceive of it, I think there's a problem there. Because this mind isn't as great as I think it is. My plans aren't as bulletproof as, as I'm convinced they are. God's way is better. I trust. And then, and then I remind myself that the real source of joy is not the events and circumstances and outcomes of my life, but my real source of joy is the presence of Jesus Christ. It is knowing him. One time the disciples, they were doing all these great things. They said, even the demons are subject to us. It's amazing. All these great things are happening through us. And Jesus says, yeah, that's cool. But if you really want to be excited about something, rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. In other words, he says, you can do all these great things, but here's what you really should actually be excited about, that you are known and loved by God. And that's better. You may not see it that way, but, but it's better than all of that. And sometimes disappointment, church, is the perfect opportunity to remind ourselves of that powerful and transforming truth. And then Paul says this. He says, and now there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Doesn't that sound cool? The crown of righteousness. You got one of those at home? Sound expensive to me. The crown, but he says, but it's not just for me. It's for all those who love his appearing. Now, when I've always read this verse, I've always kind of thought, I, I kind of missed the last part of it in my mind. I read it, but it didn't, it didn't resonate, you know? And, and what Paul says is, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future. I have tremendous hope for the future. Can we go back for a minute? Where is Paul right now? He's in prison unjustly. Who's in charge? Nero. He's crazy. What's the future for Paul? Death. Might be really ugly, but yet he says, but I have hope for the future. Like, how, Paul, what's wrong with you, man? You shouldn't have hope in that place. You shouldn't have hope in those circumstances. You, you shouldn't have hope facing what you're facing. Like, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future that God has for me. This is part of the power of the message of Jesus Christ, this hope that Paul has. And he says this hope is not just for him, it's for each of us. He says the crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will give to me, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the future that God has for me. And it's not only something I can look forward to, it's something for each of us today. See, I used to think the crown of righteousness, well, that's like, Paul, you're, you're the tip of the spear, man. 
you're, you're like the super hero of the New Testament. So of course, you can look forward to that, you know, beautiful crown of righteousness and all that. But Paul says, no, no, it's not just for me. It's for all those who love his appearing. What does that mean? It means today, do you love Jesus Christ? Do you, do you just long to see him, to know him, to connect to him, to, to serve him? If you do, the crown's for you too. Here, here's what it means. It means that, that God, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, is going to pour that out more and more into the future. Not because we deserve it, not because we're worthy of it, not because we always get it right, but because of who he is. His love for us, the work of Christ on our behalf. Here's what I want to just leave you with today. I believe you can go into this next year with hope. Great hope. Not because you're going to get everything right. Not because you're going to win every fight. Not because you're not going to get tired and worn out and crabby. But because you have a God who is so good, who is so merciful, who is so wonderful through Jesus Christ that that hope can permeate and recreate any of the situations or difficulties that we will face in this next year. I cannot guarantee anything for next year other than this, that God's goodness, grace, and mercy will be there for you through Jesus Christ. And that's the only guarantee that you need, church. That's the only guarantee that, that we really need to have real and substantial and meaningful hope. And so can we just ask God to fill our hearts with that right now? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for what you offer to us today in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that, that for people like us who, who fail, who are broken, who struggle, who have good days and bad days, Lord, you look at us and you give us your steadfast love, your mercy and your kindness through our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that that gift would not go unnoticed, unacknowledged, or unappreciated in our lives. I pray just, Lord, right now as we finish this year that we could just be strengthened by it. That we could be like the Apostle Paul. Maybe some of us, we're, we're in a prison of difficulty, in a prison of fear, but, but in that, Lord, we could find the hope of Christ and be strengthened by it today. Father, help us to just see all the ways you were for us this year and help us to go into next year with a deeper faith. We ask for your help in all this in Jesus' name. Amen.